Start the recording. Am I checking it? Testing, testing. You're good? good? You're good? You're good? Do you want to stick that in your pocket? All right. Um, Kevin's my brother here. Uh, so Kevin's a friend of a friend. He attended a, an ARP church. That's the denomination we are, Associate Reformed Presbyterian. He attended a church uh, called Wellspring in that same denomination in near Roanoke, right outside Roanoke. And uh, the pastor there is friends, his name's Stephen Lawford. I'm friends with him. And he introduced me to Kevin. Kevin's now living in Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. He's got a couple businesses, right? Or, or just one right now? Pretty much one, but okay, uh, one. another job I'm working But he's got lots of stuff going on. Yeah. Lots yeah. of stuff. He's yeah. done hospice. Yeah, still doing and, that. And uh, right now you're doing workplace chaplaincy. Yeah. Is that a yeah. fair statement? Yeah. And you're welcome to talk about that sure. if you want to. But That's right. um, we are excited to have you with us. Thank you for yeah. jumping into Matthew. Yeah. As you know, we're, we're about to finish up the book of Matthew. Yay. So we're, this week we're in chapter 27. And then next week, we'll do one more in chapter 27. Easter Sunday, we'll do chapter 28, uh, it's the <coughs> resurrection. So that'll be appropriate. And then we'll start our new study, which you get excited about. So. Anyway, but right. take it away, Kevin. Thank Appreciate you for it. being here. Thank you for preaching for us today. Yes. Giving me a break. Yes. I really am very thankful. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's so good to be here. And uh, um, I just have uh, enjoyed getting to know your pastor and, and his family. And so it's just great to to see you all and be introduced to you. And I, I do want to give a shout out to a guest from Richmond, Eric Wallace, friend of mine here. So be sure and speak to him afterwards. And he's got some... Hello. Hey, Hello. see, there you go. Yes, thank you. Yeah, he's got some kids with him too. So he's an old friend. And I have an old friend here who's who has told me, says, you know, you can't get old, you can't get new old friends. And so it's always a good reminder that that uh, we have friends who are old friends that that stick with us, uh, and that's a that's a blessing. And uh, and certainly Stephen, uh, who you mentioned, uh, is one of those kind of new old friends, but an old friend nonetheless. Um, and uh, it's great to just be here. And we enjoyed worshiping there at Wellspring Presbyterian in Roanoke during a transition time for us that brought us to Charlottesville. So I'd love to say more about what I'm doing now. Let me just say it's called Transformation at Work. I'm, I'm actually working with a nonprofit, Transformation Incorporated. Uh, Chris Martin, who's done counseling here, does counseling here a lot. Some of you know Chris, shaking your head. Yeah, I know Chris. So it's uh, kind of interesting. We all uh, oftentimes hear from people say, yeah, I know Chris. And uh, so I work with Chris. We both are at the same church, Christ Community Church. And... Um, and so Chris does a lot of counseling in his office, and I'm doing trying to do more kind of workplace ministry, chaplaincy, even mediation work uh, for people in the workplace. So, so anyway, appreciate your prayers for for that for that continuing effort. I also am a hospice chaplain too. So um, so anyway, busy busy times, and and uh, my wife and I have four children and a granddaughter now, and the granddaughter is down in Roanoke and. So we get down there as often as we can to see her. So she and to see the granddaughter's parents, you know. <laughs> so you got that. Yes. My son and his wonderful wife, they are just dear, dear folks. So so a lot, lot I could talk about, but I, I was really encouraged to stay with Matthew. Uh, your pastor gave me the freedom to preach anywhere I wanted to, which is always a kind of scary thing when the pastor opens the door to you that way. But uh, but anyway, I I thought no, I'll, I'll gladly stay with uh, where you are in Matthew. But but I did. Um, I was looking at this a lot this week. 
But and I, I guess I didn't realize that the last these chapter 26 and 27 are the longest two chapters in all of Matthew. And so by me only taking these first 10 verses of chapter 27, that leaves you a lot to cover this next week. So I, I apologize for that on the one hand. Yeah, I guess so. But yep. But uh, but anyway, I'm glad to be here with you on your last Sunday here, and then your next Sunday will be at uh, um, the uh, Brooks Family Wise. So that'll be a great a great blessing, uh, I'm sure, for you all to make that big transition. And I I uh, am excited for you. Well, let us pray together as we begin. So gracious God, we thank you so much that you love us with a perfect love. And indeed, you are the ransom from heaven, as we sang about today. You are indeed the one who uh, purified us by uh, the payment on the cross for our sin, Lord. We, we uh, just need your wisdom today, Lord, to understand uh, how that uh, relates to us by your Holy Spirit, even now in this uh, 21st century, Lord, here in Charlottesville. Father, give us wisdom right now to understand how your ancient words uh, still apply very much to us today. For we pray and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, I have been a pastor before, and it was actually out of the in the Baptist tradition, and uh, I always liked preaching through a book of the Bible, and so it was kind of interesting that when I first became a pastor, um, we actually went through the book of Hebrews. And then I also have spent a lot of time in Matthew when I was at Gordon-Conwell doing some study and, and had a topic for a thesis there that I, I didn't finish because I transferred and, and finished at another school. But, uh, but I thought about that this week. I thought, isn't it interesting that I love the book of Hebrews and then also really, I think, you know, I'm really, I, I love Paul's writings actually, but it's kind of odd that I've spent so much time in the book of Hebrews and in the book of Matthew. Because both of those, both of those, um, New Testament scriptures for us help us to understand the traditions of the Jewish people by which our church, the church, uh, is founded and built upon. Uh, obviously, it's on Christ who himself is, uh, is was Jewish, and so it's important that we understand that. So I, d- I just want to start, oddly enough, by reading this, these first few verses of the book of Hebrews. Because I think it's a good reminder for us as we go back to Matthew. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now, as we were praying, as I was praying for us today, again, I was praying that, that Lord, help us to understand how these ancient words, because, I mean, it's been at least 2,000 years since, <laughs> since any of this was written and recorded, so around that, you know. Uh, and I think we get so far removed from the historical context of things that we just think, well, the Bible's just not even relevant for us today. It's not even relevant for me today. And I know you're Christian people, Christian folks, uh, coming here today with an interest in the Word and a commitment to the Word, 
But I spend a lot of time with people out in the world, whether in workplace settings or through the work that I do with hospice, that, you know, it just seems like these words are ancient words that just don't connect with us. And so my, my commitment and my passion is for, for the scriptures to, to come alive to you today and for you to understand that, that this word is real, it's true, it's, it's God's word, and it still very much relates to us today. And so I think it's important that we realize that, yeah, Jesus is, is in heaven. We're going to talk about the resurrection in a couple of weeks. Um, but, uh, but you know what? The Holy Spirit is here with us, and the Holy Spirit mediates the presence of Christ to us. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is with us. And uh, the Holy Spirit is bringing us into this uh, perfect kingdom that Christ is bringing too. Uh, as he said, for us to pray here on earth as it is in heaven. So we go back to Matthew, and I want to go back to the end of Matthew. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of you here, uh, Nathan. But Matthew chapter 28, I want to just start at the end here and then work back just a little bit. It's only a few chapters ahead. So Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, goes along with the Hebrew passage. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but get this, some doubted. Some doubted. Here's Matthew, and he says, some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is where you're headed in your study of Matthew. I don't, I don't know how much you're going to focus on that at the end, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead of you, I know. But, but I think it's a good reminder for us that this Jesus who we're reading about and studying about and learning about, and as we look at this passage today, is the one who has, again, declared all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples of all nations, all peoples. You know, that's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of Christ we serve. This ransom from heaven that we sang about is this ransom from heaven that we're going we're gonna to look more specifically at this today. With Judas, I, I've never probably preached a sermon on Judas. You know, it's really kind of an odd thing. I, I spent a lot of time with this this week, and, and it really was um, just, just stunning to learn some of the things that I did. So I hope to be able to convey some of that to you today. I also realize that it's easy to study and spend a lot of time that way. It's harder for me to speak and communicate it uh, so well to you all. So bear with me. But look at this passage in chapter, just turn one chapter back from Matthew 28 to chapter 27, the very beginning of chapter 27. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the thirty silver coins to the chief priest and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left, and then he went away and hanged himself. 
The chief priest picked up the coins and said, It is against the law to put this into the treasury, since it's blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it's been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. I mentioned to you I'd spent a lot of time studying Matthew, and actually my study of, of Matthew, uh, as many scholars, and I'm certainly not in a scholarly league, but uh, have focused on Matthew is all these fulfillment formulas or fulfillment quotations of how, how the life of Jesus from his birth until his death fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures. And you know what? This is interestingly I discovered this week. This is the last quotation that way. This is the last sort of fulfillment formula quotation that Matthew gives in his gospel, and it's about Judas, and it's about this field, and it's about what the religious leaders do with buying this field. So I found that fascinating, that Matthew, the tax collector, the one who surely understood about the valuing of things, as a tax collector does, you know, I'm not very good at valuing things monetarily. I I must confess, that's not you know, my wife is, is more the bookkeeper in our house than I am. Some of you, you know, I don't think that's a gender gift or a gender challenge or anything like that, but some guys are, some women are. But, but I, it's, not, it's not a strength of mine, I can tell you. So that's the other reason I found this study particularly fascinating for me this week is just to, to try to understand what Matthew, the one who really did understand the value of monetary things and taxes and things like that, why he put this as his last. Because there's 10 of them, at least 10 of them. Some say 11, but there's at least 10 of these fulfillment quotations that start all the way back in the first or second chapter. And then actually, it's kind of interesting, one of the earliest one is another reference to Jeremiah. Matthew references Jeremiah a good bit, but the, the back story to this quote is Jeremiah and Zechariah. And so I won't spend a lot of time on that. You can do, do your homework if you'd like and look back at Jeremiah and Ze- Zechariah. You can study this passage and you can find some of the same challenges I experienced because it's, it's hard even now for biblical scholars to determine is he talking about Zechariah? Is he talking about Jeremiah? And which chapter is he talking about? Because the quotation is, is not real clear there. And yet it is scripture. It's what Matthew gave us. It's what Jesus uh, fulfilled for us. And so let's understand this in its context as best we can today. Well, I, I have a funny story to share with you to, to, you know, get back on track a little bit here. A funny thing happened at our house recently. Our middle son went online to make a contribution to a church. But when he received an email about his donation, he noticed it was the wrong CCC. You guys came up with the right name for a church because there's a ton of CCCs in Charlottesville. And I don't know if you received a donation from my son. You didn't. No, but but he actually got an email back from another church. Thankfully, it was a church that we had visited before, and he was happy to contribute to. So he never he never asked for the money back. He never did anything about it. He just let it go. 
you know, hope, you know, I, I mean, our, he's a very generous, he's a very contented son, very generous son. And, and it, but anyway, I just learned that story this week and I thought, wow, I got to tell that story because it's just so appropriate with another CCC here. Uh, so needless to say, he had some misgivings about his giving, right? But thankfully, again, it was somewhere we were familiar with. Well, but perhaps you've experienced your own misgiving, misgivings about giving. You know, one of the challenges of being a pastor and one of the challenges of having a church or any kind of community group or even a business for that matter is how do you handle money? Is what do you do with stewardship issues? And it is such a challenge. You know, as, as any of us know, whether it's in a family or whether it's in a business or whether it's in a church, you know, it's let's let's track the money, you know, let's keep tracking the money. And so I, I found, again, this fascinating this week because it's so easy to charge others with a misappropriation of funds. It's so easy to look at Judas and say, see, he was just in it for the money, which, again, maybe that's really all it was about for Judas. It seems that way. Matthew, oddly enough, doesn't record that. It's John who records that Matthew, that um, Judas was just interested in the money. So John Stott in his book on the cross of Christ, I think does a good job of tracing Judas's history in those scriptures and that understanding. So I would, I would commend to you John Stott's uh, book, The Cross of Christ. He has a good summary of Judas's life. And, um, and I think he's right. I think it, the money really did get to Judas and it was that kind of understanding that 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 he uh, betrayed Jesus in part because of his greed. But guess what? You know what? We can be quick to judge others, can't we, about how they spend money? I mean, there, there's just so may, many ways that we can judge others. I mean, really, countless ways. But I, I tell you, I think we all get judged and we all judge others probably more about money issues than anything else. You know, why, why do they, why, why spend money on a new car? Why, why, why do this? Why send your kids to private school or... Why do you know there's just so many ways that you can question people's commitments, you know? Uh, every person's valuation of life is unique. Every think about that. Every person's valuation of life is unique. It's unique to you. Because I think all of us have a unique personality, a unique giftedness in life, a unique set of background issues, a unique family that we all come from. None of us in this world are alike. And so we're all going to value things differently, which is why, again, it, it, you know, it's, it's stressful even in a marriage to understand. You know, just think about it. Just two people living together, loving each other together, just trying to figure out how it all works. Money is the great regulator of stuff and even people, sadly. Money is more than just the currency of our commitments. It's actually, as Matthew records for us, it's the revelator of our hearts because money always demands a price. Name your price is the time-worn way of testing a person's sellout price for almost anything. Well, I think we'll be, uh, thankfully, we have a gospel writer who was surely better acquainted with the evaluation of all things in his day than most as he was, as I said, a tax collector. But he wasn't just any tax collector. He was a tax collector who had been transformed by Christ and with 
kind of the rich words ringing in his heart of Matthew 6. Listen to this passage in Matthew 6. It's from the Sermon on the Mount. Again, Matthew the tax collector. Imagine that, writing these words. Think about it. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In that passage in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes on to talk about worry. But he also goes on here and he says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew's the one who recorded it so well for us. So when we get to this passage about money and the, and the price of Jesus' betrayal, I think it's interesting that we keep in mind the money trail. Look at what Judas said in chapter 26, verses 14 through 16. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and he asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty silver coins. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Judas sold out, it appears, for money. And again, it would be easy to just point the finger at Judas. I wonder how many of us are you know, guilty of selling out for far less and for far more often and for, you know, just, just in so many ways we sell out, do we not? In this passage, I think we see the unintended consequences of Judas's betrayal or really the unintended consequences of sin. Because in Matthew 27, in the beginning of this passage, where the elders get together and they make a decision again to put Jesus to death, they bound him, led him away, handed him over to Pilate the governor. That's when Judas decides, whoa, wait a minute, this has gone too far. I, I questioned this week as I studied this, I was like, didn't Judas know this is what was going to happen? Didn't he know this is the result of his sin, of his greed, of his selfishness, of his betrayal? Didn't he realize that this was going to lead to the death of an innocent man? Seems like he really didn't know that. Seems like he thought, well, maybe they would just take him in, beat him, put him in jail during the Passover, whatever. It seems like he didn't really expect the unintended consequences of his betrayal. I don't know about you, but I learned a hard lesson in, in the last church that I pastored. I had a, a wonderful deacon who would tell me oftentimes, say, Pastor, there's a lot of un unintended consequences, not just of our sin. There's a lot of unintended consequences of good things that well-meaning people do with good motives. And that's hard to swallow at times. That's really hard to swallow. When you know that you're doing your best to, to be that husband, to be that wife, to be that employee, to be that boss, to be that pastor, whatever it is, you're doing your best. 
And then there's some unintended consequences that other people misperceive or misinterpret and conflict erupts and it just gets, things get crazy. So there's a lot of unintended consequences in life and and it may have been that Judas is experiencing some of this here. But I want us also to see the emptiness of sin because I think that's what we clearly see right in the middle of this passage when Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die. He was filled with remorse. And so he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priest and the elders. He, he declared, I've sinned, for I betrayed an innocent man. I love how the New Living Translation records what the religious leaders said at this point. They said, what do we care, they retorted. That's your problem. What do we care? That's your problem. Now again, Matthew again is the one. He is the gospel writer that is trying to help us see this connection with Jewish history. He's the one that brings out Jesus as the son of David. Okay, He is not just Jesus the Christ. He is the son of David. And so Matthew's linking up Jesus' life, his legacy, his ministry with Jewish history. And so the son of David, you know, is betrayed. And then the betrayer comes back to the religious authorities. And they, their response is, what do we care? That's your problem. Judas is basically tell them, telling them, you've sinned. You've betrayed an innocent man. But Judas obviously didn't have the courage or wherewithal to say that. He didn't understand what was going on. He, he surely didn't understand Jesus. He surely didn't accept him as the ultimate son of David. He had remorse, but not repentance. And obviously, the religious leaders here didn't have even remorse. I like what Tom Wright writes about remorse versus repentance. He does it in such a way that I, I, could, I, I have to read it to you. He says, There are levels and degrees of remorse. We saw when we looked at Peter at the end of the previous chapter that there's a big difference between remorse, such as that of Judas, and genuine repentance, such as that of Peter. There's a watershed between them, like drops of rain falling near a mountaintop. They may start quite close together, but depending on which side of the line they fall, they will make their way to one side of the country or the other. Rain to the east of Jerusalem, very rare by the way, he says, will flow down to the Dead Sea. Rain to the, rest, to the west of Jerusalem will go into the Mediterranean. Remorse and repentance both begin with looking at something you've done and realizing it was wrong. But the first goes down the hill of anger, recrimination, self-hatred, and ultimately self-destruction, the way that leads to death. The second goes down the route Peter took of tears, shame, and a way back to life. Make sure that, that you're not overcome with remorse in a way that excludes genuine repentance. Paul writes about that too. But again, Judas here seems overcome with remorse in a way that that is uh, without repentance. And yet it's deep and abiding in such a way that he takes his own life. It truly is a tragedy, a tragic ending 
to a tragic story. And yet that's not the, that's not the whole of it, is it? Because we know the ultimate ending. We know there is a, a, a joy in the midst of all the deep sadness and sorrow. Judas refused to be reconciled to Jesus. Think about it for a minute. Matthew writes about how we can be reconciled to one another. You know, Judas could have perhaps gone back to Jesus and said, hey, man, I, I, I didn't, re-, you know, but he, it didn't happen. It didn't happen that way. He didn't think that way. He wasn't, ex- again, understanding Jesus as this Messiah, son of David. It's interesting that the gospel writers record Judas. I mean, some people make a big deal about it. Others don't. I think it is significant. He would often refer to Jesus as rabbi. He wouldn't call him Lord. You know, everybody else was calling him Lord. He would call him rabbi. It seems that Judas just looked at Jesus as a good teacher, perhaps another Jewish rabbi. You know, again, uh, we pastors are teachers too, but, you know, we're proclaiming a God in Christ that is to be worshipped, that is to be worshipped and served. You know, I think there's three aspects of life as believers. We are to worship, serve, and celebrate. And... um, Anyway, I'm getting, getting off on another track, sorry. Matthew is clear here that the temple authorities cannot forgive sin as the son of David does. Because, again, they're, they're just saying, Judas, that's your problem. That's not our problem. That's your problem. You deal with it. Lastly, I think we see the valuation of all things in Christ. That's the, that's the strange part about this passage. Because that is why it's been uh, called a fulfillment piece here. Listen to these words from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul writes, If it seems we are crazy, it's to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it's for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive this new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. That means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has gone has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sin against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And I think that's what we see here because this 30 pieces of silver, oddly enough, was it, it, it was the value of the price of a slave. Think about it. In, it's in Exodus chapter 21. It says, If an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox must be stoned. Uh, in such a case, however, the owner will not be held liable. But suppose the ox had a reputation for, for goring, and the owner had been informed but failed to keep it under control. 
If the ox then kills someone, it must be stoned, and the owner must also be put to death. However, the dead person's relatives may accept payment to compensate for the loss of life. The owner of the ox may redeem his life by paying whatever is demanded. The same regulation applies if the ox gores a boy or a girl. But if the ox gores a slave, less than a boy or girl, mind you, if an ox gores a slave, either male or female, the animal's owner must pay the slave's owner 30 silver coins and the ox must be stoned. So I think scholars are right to point back to this because it seems that this ransom from heaven was paid at the price of a slave. 30 pieces of silver. You know, in Matthew, Matthew records these words of Jesus, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. The price of Jesus' life was valued at the rate of a slave. The rate at which our freedom was valued and paid for in Christ was the rate at which a slave was valued in death. Matthew already reminded his readers that Jesus was going to give his life as a ransom to buy us back from the ravages of sin and death in Adam so that we could now be in Christ. This awful betrayal of Jesus is now an awesome reminder of the valuation of all things in Christ and that none of us are beyond his reach, not even for 30 pieces of silver, not even if our life is valued at the price of a slave less than a boy or girl. Our life is worthwhile. Ultimately, our lives were not redeemed by this perishable stuff of this world, but by the precious blood of the innocent one. Peter reminds us of that in his letter. He says, our lives are not redeemed by the gold or silver or anything like that, but by the precious blood of Christ. Ultimately, redemption is paid with blood, not money. We can talk about the money, But ultimately, it was the blood. You know, I've been a hospice chaplain now for a while. I did hospital chaplain work and all, but I don't like, I'm not one of these people that passes out at needles. I almost did one time when my wife was, they were trying to get blood out of my wife's arm when she had her tonsils taken out after we had gotten married. And I was like, I got to get out of here. I'm going to, I'm going to faint. But I try to give blood regularly. They say it's good for men to help your blood pressure, but. I hate giving blood. I hate needles. I always tell them, I say, I, I, I just let me know when you're going to, I don't want to watch. I don't want to see it, you know. And again, I've worked in a hospital. I do hospice work. I'm really a chicken, you know. I really am. But I make myself do those kind of things because I realize that, again, our life is valued at such an unbelievable cost. Unbelievable cost. The price of Jesus' blood. It wasn't just 30 pieces of silver. I mean, that's what, you know, we have here, and that's what I've talked about. But it was the precious blood of Christ, and so it's appropriate, isn't it, that Jesus gave us the reminder. I'm so glad that you all do communion every week, you know, because it's such a beautiful reminder that it isn't, again, just the bread and the juice or the bread and the wine, you know. It's a reminder of the precious blood of Christ, His body that was broken for us, 
His blood that was poured out for us. And again, like I read at the beginning in that passage in Hebrews, that you know He's the one that after He had purified us from sin, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God, having paid the price for our sin making it possible, to, as Hebrews says, to come boldly to the throne of grace. You and I have nothing to come boldly to the throne of grace with but Jesus. But Jesus. You know, Judas made the mistake of not knowing how or not being able to go back to Jesus. When you think about it, Judas's destiny, or Judas's, and never mind the, the sovereignty of God questions, But when you look at Matthew especially, when you think about it, Judas is the end of the law because the law said that Judas should die for that betrayal. You know, I mean, the law condemned him. The law condemned him to die. I think he probably went back to the temple, the religious authorities, to basically say, look, I'm, I'm guilty. Condemn me. Kill me. And, and I never thought about this until this week, that he, what he did by hanging himself was actually executing his own judgment because that's what the law said. That's what should have happened to him by the law. He didn't understand grace. And folks, when we really understand the depth of our sin and the depth of God's law, it should drive us to grace. It should drive us to the grace and mercy of God. That's the purpose of it, is to show us our sin and to drive us to the mercy of God. And that's why, again, communion is such a powerful reminder. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much again for the cross. We thank you for Jesus' death and his resurrection over sin, hell, and the grave. We thank you for the the free offer of, of salvation that he brings to us. And that he offers us, and I pray, Lord, that uh, as, as we gather here today, that, that you would just uh, grant us, again, your grace and peace and wisdom to just acknowledge our sin and cast it at your feet and recognize again, Lord, that you are the God of mercy and love and grace and peace. And that, yes, we are guilty. And there's no price here on earth that can buy us back. But thank you, Lord, for paying that price by your blood. For we pray and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead. Sure. So... On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he gave thanks for it, and broke it, and saying, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Well, there's a little smaller, I don't know. Yeah. A little small, I don't know.
you know, the thought occurred to me that actually when Jesus experienced this with his disciples, it was obviously before his own death and crucifixion and resurrection. We're on the other side of the death, crucifixion, resurrection, and we're still remembering. We're still taking something that, again, is a reminder. Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. You know, he told his disciples that, you know, because, again, he was literally going to be broken and poured out himself. But he told his disciples as he gathered with them, he gave them this reminder. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And afterwards also he took the cup and he shared it. So that's, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, just as a reminder, the outside circle of this is grape juice. The inner circles are wine. I mentioned the law, and Jesus, of course, in Matthew says, you know, I did not come to abolish the law, but that the law would be fulfilled. And so Jesus said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Thanks be to God. Amen. Mm-hmm. Let's, now, let's now stand for our... Uh...
final song together. Mm -hmm.